This is LBC with Nick Abbott. Call 0345 6060 973. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Let's go to America. Talk to Simon Marks. Hello, Simon. Evening, Nick. How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you, mate? Yes, good. Um, let's talk about the Republican Party, shall we? There doesn't seem to be any low uh, that these people are not prepared to plumb. The... Uh, events of January the 6th, 2021, to r remind people what uh, happened, is uh, a, 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 a crowd, an armed crowd, burst into uh, the, um, uh, the Capitol building. They hunted officials like prey. They erected a hangman's noose outside. They called for the murder of their enemies. They beat officials. It was a, an attempted coup in which people died. And now the Republican National Committee are labelling all of that as legitimate political discourse. What the hell are they talking about? It is absolutely stunning. This took place late on Friday at a meeting of the Republican National Committee, which is basically uh, the organising committee of the Republican Party. Uh, as you know here, parties are... Uh, they don't formally have leaders, but they do have committees that run them between presidential elections. Uh, so this is uh, an official move by the Republican Party to declare the events of January the 6th, 2020, legitimate political discourse, and it is a another uh, clear example of the hold former President Donald Trump retains over the party. Now, also on Friday, we saw another very dramatic moment in Republican politics. The uh, former president's vice president, Mike Pence, made an address to the Federalist Society, which is a uh, conservative constitutional uh, uh, society here in the United States, uh, saying that Donald Trump was flat wrong when he said and has continued to say that Mike Pence as vice president had the power to overturn Joe Biden's election victory that day, January the 6th, because that's what was taking place inside the building when Donald Trump told his mob of conspiracy theory-believing supporters to head to Capitol Hill because inside the building, Mike Pence was had the power to overturn the result of the election, and the only question was whether he was going to do it. So the idea was to go up to Capitol Hill uh, and put pressure on Mike Pence and other wavering Republicans to undo uh, the result uh, of the 2020 presidential election. Mike did he, Pence did he have the power though? He did not have the power. He right. and he was he's absolutely clear about it, and he was clear about it uh, on the day in a letter that he released shortly before he headed to Capitol Hill, because we all knew that President Trump that day and the day before it had been telling Mike Pence he needed to take a stand and he needed uh, to uh, send uh, these votes back to the states where uh, individual uh, legislatures could reconsider uh, the outcome of those uh, states that Donald Trump insists he won even though uh, he lost them. And, and, and let's remember, you know, he, he's been thrown out of, uh, I think, a hundred courtrooms now uh, all over the country. He's failed to make any headway. Uh, in terms of advancing his claim that the election was rigged against him. So this is all part of the huge conspiracy theory that continues to be perpetuated by Donald Trump even now. Uh, and because the Republican Party is absolutely in his thrall, he is the central figure in Republican Party politics today. In many ways, he portrays himself as the first leader of the opposition 
uh, that America has had in the modern era. There's no leader of the opposition here, constitutionally uh, or even by custom and practice. I mean, once you lose an election, if you're a sitting president or a candidate for the presidency, you disappear off into the political hinterlands and in many cases you're never heard from again. Not so with Donald Trump. Uh, and this d determination uh, by the Republican National Committee, this vote in favour uh, of calling January the 6th a legitimate act of political discourse uh, is uh, designed, I think, really to send a signal uh, to many of those hundreds of people who have been arrested, uh, several, you know, many of them jailed already, some of them facing pretty long jail sentences. There's one man about to go on trial for smashing a fire extinguisher in the face of a police officer, uh, allegedly. If he's convicted, he faces seven years in jail. There are others that have been sentenced uh, to five years in jail already for their role uh, on January the 6th. Uh, this is meant to send them a message that they've still got support at the highest level of the Republican Party with Donald Trump last weekend saying that if he's re-elected in 2024, he will consider pardoning them uh, and uh, therefore, you know, uh, erasing uh, the crimes of which they've been committed, uh, of which they've been convicted. So it's, it's, it's a quite astonishing place that the Republican Party finds itself. America, it, oh, <laughs> I don't know where to begin, really. The, half of the people in America seem to be gripped by this toxic grievance uh, uh, against, I don't know, anybody that's not themselves. This sort of victim mentality that they swim in. It's like a, it's like a soup that is up to their eyeballs. Is it still the case that over 90% of Republicans still think that the election was stolen from Donald Trump? Uh, 70%. It's over 70% of Republican voters have come to believe, and this number has risen over the last year, it's now as high as 70%. They now believe Donald Trump's lie that the election was stolen. Uh, and uh, Trump made a huge speech last weekend in Texas, lasted an hour and a half. I listened to all of it, so you don't have to. Wow. I mean, he was, again, falsely claiming uh, not only that the 2020 presidential election was rigged, but absolutely predicting that the midterm elections this November are going to be rigged, that Republicans need to be ready in 2024 to make sure that there is such a seismic vote for the Republican presidential candidate uh, that there is no question about the outcome uh, of the election, because otherwise the Democrats will try and steal it away again. And remember, he started sowing the seeds uh, of these false claims about elections in America being rigged when we were, when we were in the middle of the uh, presidential campaign in 2019. Mm. I mean, he's been, he's been pushing this line uh, even back as early as 2015. He was talking about uh, elections being untrustworthy. Of course, once he won the presidential election in yeah. 2016, <laughs> he shied away from that rhetoric for a bit. Yes. Um, but yes, his speech itself last weekend was a steaming cauldron of anger, bile, self-pity, uh, an absolute insistence that he's been wronged. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't currently say that he's going to run for the presidency again, but it's all couched in if I run for the presidency again and win, mm. uh, I'm going to use a second term in the White House to settle scores, particularly as far as January the 6th is concerned. 
Now, he is, of course, uh, facing uh, multiple uh, legal uh, hurdles. Um, there are uh, many cases being brought against him, and he, he's come up with a an, <laughs> an interesting um, uh, idea about why these uh, district attorneys are attacking him. What's that? Yeah, I mean, he's using language, and, and he made these allegations in that speech last weekend in Texas. He's using language that traditionally is a bit of a racist uh, dog whistle in the United States. So he called the prosecutors vicious, horrible people, they're racists and they're very sick, they're mentally sick. He told the crowd, they're not after me, they're after you. He called on the crowd uh, and his supporters all over the country to get ready to launch the largest protests America has ever seen uh, in the event that moves are made against him legally or against his family. And when you look at the prosecutors that are leading these various investigations into him, you see the Attorney General of New York, York State, Letitia James, who is African-American, the new Manhattan District Attorney, uh, Alvin Bragg, he's just taken over from Cyrus Vance Jr., Mr. Bragg is African-American, uh, you see the, um, the co-chair, uh, rather the chair of the House of Representatives uh, Committee that's looking into January the 6th, Congressman Benny Thompson, uh, a prominent African-American figure uh, within the Democratic Party's caucus on Capitol Hill, so it's absolutely clear that he's trying to uh, draw uh, a, a, a racial uh, line with regards to what he claims are these hoaxes and these witch hunts uh, against him, uh, but also clear in that speech that he's preparing uh, to wage an absolutely scorched earth uh, campaign against the Biden administration. Time and again in the speech he spoke about immigration and the outrage of the United States sending Sending uh, men and women to Europe to prepare to protect Ukraine's borders while the southern border of the United States was uh, not in any sense being protected by Joe Biden. He warned people that because of Joe Biden, you might have people from Afghanistan, Afghan refugees living next door to you and you don't even know they're there. I mean, he's clearly preparing once again to use this issue of race and immigration uh, to whip up sentiment and deliver votes to whoever uh, the next Republican presidential candidate is, because whoever it's going to be is going to be, it's either going to be Donald Trump or another Trump, or it's going to be someone absolutely cut from Donald Trump's cloth, because moderates within the Republican Party are, are, are being completely eclipsed by Donald Trump. And if we go back to that meeting of the Republican National Committee, you saw two prominent moderate Republicans, Liz Cheney of Wyoming and Adam Kinzinger of Illinois, becoming the first sitting members of Congress ever to be rebuked by their own party. And what's their crime? They're part of the uh, House of Representatives investigation into what took place on January the 6th a year ago. Uh, for, for moderates in the Republican Party, there is no future, which is why Adam Kinzinger and so many others are, are, are planning to step down and not seek re-election. Blimey. Keep your passport ready at all times, Simon. You might have to run to the airport. Got it in my back pocket always. Um, let's talk about Joe Rogan. He's this oh, yes. um, uh, super wealthy, uh, extremely popular podcast host on Spotify, which used to make its money from uh, streaming music. And now, uh, now that podcasts have really taken off, 
their uh, their revenue stream is um, is coming from that avenue more than music. And uh, Neil Young took objection to. Uh, one of uh, Joe Rogan's podcasts, which was with, um, I think it was a medical professional who said, uh, who uh, uh, cast a doubt on the uh, efficacy of uh, vaccines. Uh, Neil Young said, well, you can't have Joe Rogan and uh, Neil Young's uh, music at the same time. So they pulled his music and then uh, Joni Mitchell um, joined with uh, Neil Young and they pulled hers. And there's been a, a bit of, um, a, a sort of uh, like a step back from Spotify, hasn't there? What have, what have they done? Well, a bit of a step back in the sense that Spotify this week did put out a statement saying that they were going to implement a content advisory system and slap any podcast, including, of course, Mr Rogan's, that dwells on COVID-19 and proffers misinformation to the public with an advisory. Uh, and there would then be a link for users uh, to surf across to a, uh, a content hub uh, of reliable information about COVID-19. COVID-19, as opposed to the misinformation that Mr. Rogan has regularly promulgated on his podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience. Um, that was sort of the first move that Spotify made. Then we've discovered over the weekend that without announcing it publicly, Spotify has deleted, some reports say, 70 episodes of Joe Rogan's podcast. Others say up to 100 of these sort of past uh, editions of his podcast mm. uh, in which the musician India Ari um, revealed that Joe Rogan had used the N-word. Uh, there is a, a, a clip of video also doing the rounds in which Mr Rogan and a couple of his invited guests are uh, joking uh, about uh, their approaches uh, to women and their sexual prowess uh, with women. So all of this is creating... Uh, fresh problems for Spotify and the reason why this is really difficult for Spotify they can't advance the Mark Zuckerberg defence which you know you can argue isn't much of a defence but Mark Zuckerberg says of Facebook look we're just like the phone company we don't have anything to do with the actual content we just basically uh, host the platform on which it appears mm. uh, but it's up to the actual uh, people who are on Facebook uh, you know they, they, they have responsibility for what they're saying Joe Rogan is in a different category he's on a 100 million dollar deal with Spotify who bought his podcast so they absolutely own him and publish him. And this is putting, uh, creating difficulties for other people on Spotify in a similar boat, including the Sussexes out in California, because Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have a deal with Spotify reported to be worth $45 million to produce podcasts. Uh, so far, they've managed to produce one in the last year. Uh, late last year, Spotify was said to be hiring production staff uh, to try and ramp up the uh, numbers of podcasts that the Sussexes are going to produce for the platform. They put a statement out eight days ago saying that they were now looking to Spotify to meet the moment, whatever that means. Well, you know, by no measure has Spotify met the moment, especially as it spends its time desperately trying to delete podcasts that contain uh, damaging revelations about Joe Rogan's attitudes. So I, I do think, you know, pretty soon the question will have to be asked of uh, the Duke, uh, of um, uh, Harry and Meghan, 
uh, as to what are you going to do? Are you going to carry on taking the Spotify money? Are you going to carry on having a business relationship with these people? And there are, there are many others, of course, in the same boat. Maybe they'll uh, be uh, co-hosts to the Howard Stern Show. Well, that would be uh, <laughs> terrific. I mean, that would certainly be uh, loose and uh, live and interesting, wouldn't it? It would be uh, interesting, yeah. <laughs> uh, Simon, thanks for that. That's Cheers, Simon Marks, LBC's US correspondent, talking to us from Washington, D.C.